Hello, and welcome to HipCast, Hip Tips, sharing expert tips from experts in hip fracture care. I'm Jack Bell. I'm an advanced practicing dietitian at the Prince Charles Hospital and also an honorary associate professor at the University of Queensland. Now, it would be fair to say that I'm pretty excited to be actively working across Australia and globally to improve nutrition care for people with fragility fracture. But before we begin, I would like to acknowledge the people as the traditional custodians of the land I'm based on, the Turrbal and Yagara people, but also um, those on the, the lands in which you may be also living and working as well. And I would like to share my acknowledgements to the elders past, present and emerging. Today, I have the dietitians Catherine Kane from Christchurch Hospital across the ditch and Alexandra Fuller from the Wollongong Hospital joining me to share our hip tips for dietetics. Welcome, Catherine and Alex. Thanks for joining me. So as dietitians, we know we just can't see all the older adults who are at risk of malnutrition, let alone be responsible and accountable for delivering all the nutrition care that we know they need, both in hospitals, in rehabilitation, and also across community and aged care home settings. So here's our big tip. Malnutrition is actually everybody's business. And everybody can identify and manage malnutrition by making nutrition care simpler. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, it's pretty easy. It's not rocket science. S is for screen for nutrition risk. I is for interdisciplinary assessment. M is for make the diagnosis and make sure the patient is aware of it. P is for plan with the patient. E is for evaluate ongoing care requirements. I've left out L, sorry. L's a sneaky one. It's implement interventions and it's a sneaky L because it's in the middle. Um, and then back to R, R is for review practice through nutrition care process, policy and reforms, recommendations and research. So now we're going to go through these one at a time. So I'll start with you, Alex. What might S, screen for malnutrition, look like where you work? Hi, Jack. Um, thanks so much for having me on the podcast. So nutrition screening is probably the best place to start the conversation around nutrition as it really helps identify the patients most at risk and most in need of nutrition intervention. Nutrition screening is a really simple process that helps identify those patients most at risk of undernutrition and requiring further input by a dietitian. It's really a crucial starting point for any patient's hospital admission and the earlier that this is performed, the better. The process usually involves a health professional and this could be a nurse, a doctor or another allied health clinician asking a few questions around appetite, any changes in the way somebody's eating or any changes in weight. I'm really lucky to work in a district where nutrition screening is actually performed by nursing staff as part of uh, what's called an admission assessment um, and referrals are placed for patients requiring dietetic intervention early on in the admission. In our setting, we use the MST or the malnutrition screening tool, which is a simple tool asking questions around any changes in appetite, oral intake, or any uh, recent unintentional weight loss. But there are really lots of different types of screening tools available that would be suitable for patients who have uh, fractured their hip. 
And a few examples of this could include an M&A short form or a must screening tool, but generally they all have a similar purpose of quickly identifying any nutrition related concerns and referring on to dietetics. So patients admitted with a hip fracture uh, are actually a group that we've studied here in my area quite a bit, and they tend to have a high level of pre-existing undernutrition, indicating a poor nutritional status at home prior to the fracture. Um, and unfortunately, there's a high risk of nutrition decline during the admission as well. And this could be to a, due to a lot of factors, you know, fasting for tests and surgery, um, pain. Some patients have confusion or delirium, um, an inability to feed themselves and poor tolerance of the food that's provided in the hospital setting. So because we know that this population are a high risk, we actually get an automatic referral for all patients admitted uh, with hip fractures. And this is usually placed in emergency when a patient first walks through our doors. And this actually leads me on to the importance of an interdisciplinary assessment as we're not the only discipline that gets this automatic referral here in my hospital. Thanks, Alex, that's great. So I'd now like you to tell me about the I interdisciplinary assessment. Yeah, so care of patients with hip fractures definitely does require a combined team effort. And this is all the way from the team that admits and prepares the patient for surgery, um, all the way through to clinicians on the ward that look after the patient, and then on to uh, rehab or maybe an aged care ward if needed. Um, the evidence for hip fracture care definitely favours the inclusion of a multidisciplinary team. Um, and the benefits of this can include, you know, a quicker, more streamlined pathway to surgery, but also an opportunity to address the complex needs of these patients, in addition to providing better post-op care when a patient is aiming to return to baseline and get back home. Um, in some hospitals, the MDT approach might even extend to a falls and fracture prevention program, which aims to reduce the chance of somebody representing with a second fracture. Um, so it really does display a holistic approach to care with the patient at the centre. Um, at the hospital I work at, um, we have really focused on improving care within the MDT team over the past few years, and it's led to some really positive changes. Um, some of the improvements we've made in recent years include um, putting into practice the Australian health and quality standards, as well as the ACI guidelines um, to ensure that we are following best practice. Uh, but like I mentioned earlier, uh, we've also initiated what's known as an eHIP pathway, which is an essentially a computerized notification and management system for all patients admitted with a hip fracture. So when a person presents uh, to emergency and it's identified that they've had they, that they've actually fractured their hip, which is pretty early on in the piece, um, a referral is placed in our electronic medical records um, to all parties involved. And in our hospital, the group for notification includes anaesthetics, the acute pain service, um, the orthopedic team, orthogeriatrics, uh, physio, dietetics, and patient flow. And this means we can commence treatment as early as possible for these patients. So over to you, Catherine. How do you think we can better do the M is or make the nutrition diagnosis? Thanks, Jack, and hi, Alex. Thanks for having me. 
So we know that one in three patients present to hospital malnourished and up to two thirds of hip fracture patients will have a diagnosis of malnutrition by the time they're discharged. As Alex has explained, this will be related to increased energy expenditure due to the metabolic stress. They'll have reduced food intake related to change in appetite and nausea and difficulty eating in the hospital, as well as unnecessarily, sometimes long nil by mouth periods. When a patient has been screened to have malnutrition or at high risk of, a referral is made for nutritional assessment, and this is generally to a dietitian. There are a number of diagnostic tools available to us to make the diagnosis. Some of these are known as an SGA or a subjective global assessment, which is an evaluation of a patient's history and physical examination and uses structured clinical parameters to diagnose malnutrition. Other common ones are GLIM, also known as the Global Leadership Initiative of Malnutrition, where a patient must have one phenotypic criteria, which is either weight loss or low BMI, and two etiological criteria, which is either reduced food intake, inflammation, and or disease burden. Here in Christchurch, we use the ICD-10 uh, protein energy malnutrition to make our diagnosis. And what we've done is we've embedded this into our electronic note system. Over the last number of years, we've noticed that our referral numbers for hip fracture patients do not reflect the known high rates of malnutrition within this population group. And since the introduction of our electronic note system, our malnutrition screening rate has increased to 100%, which is great news. However, we know that the accuracy of the screening is low. And as a result of this, we were not making the diagnosis of malnutrition on a number of patients. Over the last year, we've been working with our medical orthopedic doctors and they can now make the diagnosis of malnutrition using this ICD-10 criteria. And again, like ours, we've, they've embedded this into their medical notes. It's still early days, but we hope to see improvements in this conversation quite soon. Once the diagnosis of malnutrition is made, it's important to have a conversation with the patient to explain the diagnosis and discuss the possible consequences of malnutrition if it's not addressed. Understanding and recognition of the problem allows the patient to to take control of the diagnosis and is more likely to make positive changes if correctly informed. So once the diagnosis has been made and it's been discussed with the patient, it must be recorded where it's visible for all disciplines to see. So this may be in the problem or the diagnostic list, and it's important that it's documented in the discharge summary. This will have an impact on other medical diagnosis and on treatments, and it's also a good reminder to other health professionals that malnutrition is everyone's business. Thanks so much, Catherine. Um, now to an area that's a um, a bit of a passion of mine, and that's about planning with the patient. So P is for plan with the patient. We know across Australia and New Zealand from a hip fracture sprint audit that we've just done on nutrition care, that we are not very good at planning with the patient and transitioning that care. So could you tell me a little bit about what you think about P is for plan with the patient? Sure. As you've just mentioned, um, just under half of patients with the diagnosis of malnutrition were involved in their care. Really, when we see a patient who has malnutrition, we must say, you have malnutrition and what are we going to do about it? Um, the intervention must be at pa patient level. What we're looking at is shared decision care approach. The patient must be actively involved in the goal setting and developing strategies by being patient driven, you're more likely to get successful behavioral change. 
um, it's recommended that you have small realistic goals that the patient can work to independently and also ensuring that you have um, accurate monitoring and providing positive feedback when those goals have been met. It's also good to remember to involve the family and other health professionals involved in their care, whether that's the catering systems on the ward, either in the acute centre or in rehab, or whether or not when, when they're at home and to those that provide the meals. Well, you smashed that question. Thanks so much, Catherine. So I guess one of my other keen interests or passions is how we actually go about improving care across the continuum, not just in the four walls of the hospital. So how might we do E better? Where the challenges for E is evaluating ongoing care requirements. Absolutely. Um, so those with the diagnosis of malnutrition will require monitoring and how this is done will depend on resourcing at the centre. Locally, we are able to utilise the skills of our dietary assistants to help this. Over the last year, we've had a similar project um, to the Eat, Walk, Engage programme, where from a nutrition perspective, we've been able to use these skills of the dietary assistants to help with weight measurements, assistance at meals, food preferences and supplement drinks. And it's been a great success so far. As we are an acute centre, patients are only with us for a short period of time. Uh, those that require rehab, we would communicate to our colleagues in the rehab centre to ensure ongoing nutritional care and assessment. Following discharge, in an ideal world, there would be ongoing community follow-up. But unfortunately, this isn't always available and isn't available to us locally. This also highlights the importance of documentation of the diagnosis of malnutrition and the plan then which the patient made so that the GP and other community services are aware and can continue to monitor the progress in the community and at home. So here's a sneaky R we have added to the original simple. R is for review practice through nutrition care process and policy reforms, recommendations and research. So as well as, you know, doing the simple things that we do to improve care, we actually need to know whether or not these things make a difference and can influence policy and process. So Alex, I might ask you this final question we've got. Tell us about R is for reviewing practice. Yeah, thanks, Jack. Um, so one of the things that uh, really excites me about clinical work is actually having the chance to review processes and make improvements at a systems level. Um, this means you're not only improving the care for one patient you're seeing, but you have a chance to improve for all patients uh, that we look after in a certain clinical area. I might use this opportunity to chat about some system changes that we've actually made at the hospital I work at, um, which is the initiation of what we're calling a nutrition model of care. Um, and this model of care approach is something that we've commenced in recent years for a number of specific clinical conditions, but importantly for the discussion um, that we're having about um, hip fractures for the patients that are admitted to a hospital uh, with, with that exact um, complaint. The model of care came about after some colleagues that I work with working in aged care commenced a similar process for the patients that they were seeing. 
It was initiated with the understanding that most patients admitted in aged care were at high risk of undernutrition, were needing energy and protein supplementation, but also in an attempt to evenly distribute protein intake throughout the day and meet some ideal targets of about 25 to 30 grams of protein at each meal. And the evidence suggests that meeting these protein targets and evenly distributing, distributing intake in this manner will assist in maximizing muscle protein synthesis. There are also some best practice guidelines that indicate oral nutrition supplementation should be provided for patients with, uh, that are admitted to hospital with, with a hip fracture. So a few years ago, we decided to run a pilot project whereabouts we provided routine energy and protein supplementation directly on admission for hip, the hip fracture population. And this coincided with the commencement of the eHIP pathway that I previously mentioned, which involved the NDT team. We are fortunate enough to have an allied health assistant who reviews patients' tolerance of the supplements, but also assists with obtaining some further clinical information that helps with our triaging practices. And we found that with the impl implementation of the project, we were able to significantly reduce the time from admission to intervention, ensuring that all patients were receiving nutrition support in a timely manner, and that we were meeting the best practice guidelines by instating this. But we were also able to use this information provided by our allied health assistant to ensure that we were conducting full nutrition assessments on the patients that needed it the most and the ones that we deemed the highest priority. Um, and like you mentioned before, unfortunately, we still don't get to see um, all the patients that are admitted through our doors with a hip fracture, but hopefully with the methods that we have in place, um, we're able to get to the patients that are the highest risk. But like with all good research and, and quality activities, we really still have some improvements um, to make with this population and, we, and with this project. So we're hoping to further study this group within the coming months and see if there's any further changes that we need to make. So thanks to both Catherine and Alex for sharing your hip tips and pearls of wisdom. Uh, virtual round of applause will go here, clap, clap, clap. Um, but I really do thank you both. Uh, for those of you who want to know any more, uh, there's plenty more tips in the nutrition chapter in the orthogeriatrics textbook by Velashki and Marsh, if you just Google that. Um, and if you want a lot of details, we actually have a book called Interdisciplinary Nutritional Management and Care for Older Adults that's been co-edited by myself and Ola from Iceland who are activists in the Fragility Fracture Network. Uh, but here's a final tip for you. If you Google the ANZHFR Nutrition Sprint Audit, look at the audit results and recommendations. There's a couple of really easy to read, quite pointed infographics and half a dozen recommendations that can really transform how we are able to deliver nutrition care to patients with hip fracture. In the meantime, thanks for having us and I hope you have a great day. Bye.